We all have times when we feel far from God. Some of us walked away, while others of us drifted without realizing it. How we got there doesn't matter. What matters is what we do next, because a step towards God is a step towards the home that you've been looking for. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. It really is. You know, I just before I was coming out, I was thinking how honored I am to be able to speak to you today and week after week, and I mean that. I appreciate y'all coming out and uh, worshiping the Lord together and listening to this guy. I want to I welcome those of you who are uh, uh, joining from an off-site campus uh, right now, or maybe online, or maybe in the chapel, the warehouse, or some other part of this building that we're in. I'm glad you guys are along uh, too, and I hope that you'll participate and uh, be involved in, uh, in, in what happens uh, today. Before I get into my message, let me just kind of give you a couple of updates, some things that are going on. First of all, uh, most of you know that we have a church planting organization called The Ark. Uh, we plant churches mostly in America, and now we're starting to plant them around the world. And uh, this, this weekend, we're planting three new churches, uh, uh, New Chapel Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Compass Church in West Akron, Ohio, Core Church, there's some Buckeyes, Core Church, boy, you guys whooped the fool out of somebody yesterday, that was just, that, was, that wasn't even nice, yeah. it wasn't Christ-like, and uh, <laughs> South Carolina had a great weekend though, didn't they, they didn't play, um, and Core Church in Tampa, Florida are starting today. And uh, um, so far in September, not including those churches, but so far in September, we have started 19 churches uh, all around the United States uh, with a first week attendance of 4,753 people, and over 200 people came to know Jesus on that first week in September. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. Now, let me move on to some news that's uh, a little more sobering. I uh, started getting texts this morning at, at 346 uh, from uh, one of our daughter churches, who's also an art church, but they're uh, really closely connected to us uh, at Seacoast. It's one of our daughter churches. I mentor their pastor. A church of about 1,500 people in, uh, in Pakistan. And uh, there was a bombing uh, in a church in Pakistan uh, last night, Sunday, their time. And it's killed probably over 100 people. And uh, it's not that church, but it's a sister church to that church. And uh, he asked me to pray. And uh, we're going to pray as a church for them for peace in those families and for peace in Pakistan so that the gospel can be preached. And, uh, and then many of you saw on the news uh, that there was a terrorist attack in Kenya. We have a church there also, and I'm in contact uh, with the pastor in Nairobi. And um, uh, basically targeting Christians. And uh, there, uh, there's as many as 60 right now who are dead as a result of that. As I thought about it, I thought, how, number one, how privileged we are to be able to worship as we do. But also how interconnected we are with believers all around the world. And uh, the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and we rejoice with those new church plants. And it says to mourn with those who mourn and we're going to mourn this morning with Christians around the world. So would you pray with me? And uh, let, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being called a Christ follower. 
uh, to be one of yours. And God, we rejoice with those who are planting new churches and seeing new people come to Jesus. And that's a part of the mission of Jesus. And we're excited to be a part of that mission. Lord, we also uh, this morning mourn with those who mourn. Christians in Pakistan and Kenya and other parts of the world where there's persecution and there's been terrorist attacks. And God, we mourn with them today. We, we ask for your peace to settle down in families, in children who have lost parents and parents who have lost children. And God, just that your peace would settle down. And God, we also pray for the peace of Kenya and the peace of Pakistan. Lord, we pray for leaders in those countries and leaders in our country, some who sit among us today. And God, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in a powerful, powerful way. You will win the day ultimately. Love wins. Love always does. And God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's move to the message. How many of you know, if you have kids, and you guys know we have, you know, dozens of grandkids, and... Uh, Seems like. Actually, it's a half a dozen right now, soon to be a baker's dozen. But if you have kids, there's three words that they learn real soon. I mean, they learn mom and no and mine and all that and dada and I'm trying to teach them papa and all that kind of stuff. But when they can string sentences together, one of the earliest sentences that they'll string and they'll keep doing it all the way through their middle school years up into high school and you guys even do it. And here it is, three words. It's not fair. Or that's not fair. Okay? How many of you have heard those words? Have you heard them over and over and over? Listen, they have little scorecards. They keep scorecards even before they can count. Okay? And here, here's how it works with us. Uh, uh, we, you know, we have birthdays and Christmases and all that. We had a birthday yesterday for our twins. And so that's really tricky when you got two of them exactly on the same day. And so my wife does her shopping now online, a store called Zulily. I don't know. I'm not promoting that. But our postman uh, goes to this church, God bless you, you walk up our stairs almost every day with a box from Zulily. And I guess you can buy, you know, little clothes and toys really cheap. And what Debbie does is she, she, she's a planner, and so she buys all year long for 12 birthdays and for Christmas. And she says, I couldn't handle it if I just did it all at one time. So she does it online, and then she's got her own, we've got a closet that's just packed full of stuff. Sorted, organized, sorted, sorted, uh, but uh, <laughs> and and she's got she's got a list with with a scorecard to make sure that we've got the same amount for you because if we don't on a birthday like yesterday we're gonna hear it's not fair. That's not fair. She got more than I did. And it works not only with gifts, but it works with discipline. Discipline. Discipline these days is a little different than discipline in the day when I was growing up. They have timeouts now. My timeout, when I was a kid, you heard a belt go. <laughs> that was the beginning of timeout, okay? <laughs> reminders, reminders. They, they call them reminders. Now, it's something... Uh, the next level on a timeout is a reminder. A reminder is more like, in my day, they called it a butt whipping. And that's basically what a reminder is. It's just different language, whatever. They're keeping score on that stuff, too. They pull their score. You, you go to give them a timeout or a reminder, the scorecard comes out. Are you doing the same for the other ones? Okay. That's not fair. 
This is not fair. Now, what's interesting is that doesn't end when you get out of the house. We keep our scorecards. We upgrade them, but we keep our scorecards even as adults. Uh, this week, we have all staff at Seacoast. We have it once a month, and we have all of our employees come together from all of our campuses, a couple hundred employees. And, and uh, one of my favorite parts of all staff is that we give a, an Employee of the Month award, and we give two of them, and we call them the Uta Award because I walk around all the time going, Uta man, Uta woman. When I see somebody, you know, somebody does something great or I hear about it, I go, Uta man. So they made the Employee of the Month the Uta Award, okay? And it's cool. And we, we have a whole thing on it. We, man, we do a deal and dot, 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 start playing, uh, you know, Rocky music and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of a surprise. And I go, you the man and you the woman. And everybody stands up and they start cheering. And all. It's just great. Got to see it. But uh, I suspect, I suspect <laughs> that there are some, and I, I don't even think of a name. I'm just doing it as Seacoast because it's this whole, it's everybody. I suspect that every month at the Uta Award, there's probably somebody going, you know, when will they ever reward just good, steady, hard work like I do? I mean, I know that person, and they've been a screw-up from time to time. And sometimes, and sometimes we give the Uta Award to somebody who's been a screw-up to help them not be a screw-up. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> happens occasionally. And, and so the scorecard comes out, and, you know, I, that's not fair. That's not fair. Or it could be like this. It could be you're, you're in your small group, and, you know, they're sharing testimonies of what's good, and, and somebody's just blown away by God's grace, just absolutely blown away by God's grace. That week, somebody gave them a car, or somebody got a job, or they got a blessing from God some way, so, some big deal, you know, money, whatever it happens to be, a blessing. I know all of God's blessings are not tangible, and don't, we're not going to go there, but this week it is, and they got it, and, and you want to, honestly, inside, you, you want to, on the outside, go, that is awesome, and that's what you're saying, but on the inside, sometimes you're going, that's not fair. You know, my family needs that more than they do. And, you know, how is it, I know my relationship with God has holes, issues, or whatever, but it's no worse than theirs, and it might even be deeper than theirs. And that's not fair. Now, I'm not expecting you to give me a hearty amen to that. Oh, yeah, that's me. That's what I think. You know, but I suspect that from time to time, all of us are there. That's not fair. Somebody else gets a break we don't get. Or somebody that should have gotten judge, should have gotten a timeout, should have gotten a reminder from God, didn't get it. Well, what we're going to do today, we're in a series, actually this is the end of it, and I'm really excited about this one, um, we're, a series called um, There's No Place Like Home, and we're studying Luke 15 and uh, what, what's commonly known as the prodigal son story. And actually, the prodigal son is not a good title for it. I'll probably always use that. It's the most common one. It, uh, some people say it might ought to be known as the, the, um, the running father. And we did a message on that the first week. Or more accurately, uh, the story of two sons. Because there's not just one son in this story. I mean, there is one, and we talked about him the first week, and he was a screw-up, okay? 
He was a screw-up. And a lot of us relate to him. I mean, we do. It's like, man, I made some bad decisions in my life, and I'm thankful for the grace of God. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? And the story, more than anything else, probably illustrates that there is nothing you can do that will put you outside of the grace of God that God can't forgive. Okay, that's, the, that's kind of the big story of the prodigal. But there's a second son. There's a second son. And uh, we're going to talk about him today. And he's got a scorecard and there's a fairness issue. And I suspect, most of us know the story, and I suspect that deep down inside there are some of us, probably many of us, because there's probably more of us relate to him than the other guy, because he's kind of the good moral guy. And we suspect he's got a point. He has a point. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at today. We're going to take a look at this story. I'll kind of review the first part, give some teaching on the second part. And um, I'll just say up front, um, uh, I, I did, some of the research that I did this week came from a great book called The Prodigal's God by Tim Keller. Anybody ever read this? I, I really recommend it. It's like a, a, a short read. It's great. It's about the, the prodigal. And uh, I'm going to use some of his thoughts. Uh, in fact, the, the, the four points are going to be four points that, that he gave here. So I'm going to tell you that up front. Uh, uh, I'll use some of his thoughts. The really good thoughts are mine. Okay, so uh, you, ne- you need to know that. So just, just to tell you wh- wh- where that's at. But uh, what I want to do is I, I, want to, uh, I want to talk just a little bit about the story. But I want us to bring our hearts, expose our hearts. Uh, where are we, God? Because this is so, so very important that we get this today. Because probably more of us relate to the older brother. And, uh, and there's a challenge with that, okay? So the story is this. Uh, Jesus is teaching in a room like this. And uh, there's, uh, a no- it says the notorious sinners that were kind of on the front row, kind of like we have today, not- notorious sinners <laughs> right here on the front rows. And they're grateful for the grace of God. And they're just kind of leaning in. And Jesus is teaching. They're exciting. And then we've got religious people and Pharisees on the back rows, Okay, on the back rows and up in the balcony, okay, religious leaders and Pharisees, and they're leaning back with their arms crossed because they're mad because of the people that Jesus lets in the church. And I made a point a couple of weeks ago that the church uh, ought to look more like a Walmart than a country club. Okay, that's just to be real honest with you, that's the heart of Jesus. And, but, he, but, he, but he loves both groups, and he wants both groups to to be with him forever. He's, he's inviting them to come home, be a part of the party, come home, come home. And so he tells the story of the younger brother who, uh, the guy had two, two sons, younger brother goes out, and, or he comes to his dad and he says, uh, I want my inheritance now. And basically what he's saying is, I'd rather you be dead because that was just like, you, you wouldn't ask for your inheritance now. And, it, and it's a big deal because the father can't just stroke a check for this kid's part of the inheritance. Can't do that. Because most of his wealth is in land. And so he's going to have to go sell land. Major deal in order, to, uh, in, in order for this to happen. And, and the writer or, or the listeners of the story, when Jesus says younger brother comes and asks for his inheritance and says basically I want it now, which means I'm not interested in a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you for what I can get from you. That most of the people would have thought in that culture he's going to take him out right now. He is going to take him out. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be put out of the house, all right, but with no money. And Jesus just shockingly says to them, no, that's not what happened. He, he sold some land. He did whatever he had to do, and he gave him his inheritance. Kid goes out, 
squanders it. Finally, uh, on prostitutes and what have you while living, ends up in a pig pen, comes to his senses, uh, repents, uh, gets a story. I'm going to rehearse my story, come home, and maybe God will let me be a slave or a servant or something. And his father sees him coming home from far off, and he begins to run. And that's where we learned first week, real men don't run, okay? Uh, and so uh, he, he runs to him and restores him to the family. Not as a slave, but as a son, okay? And he says, uh, he says to those around, he said, hey, get the best robe in the house and put it on him. Now, the best robe in the house is dad's robe, okay, dad's robe. So put my robe on him, bring him in, let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf, that's a real expensive cow, okay? Kill the fatted calf, have a party, and, and it, it would seem that probably the whole village turned out for the party, it's a huge party. And that's the first part of the story. And we've taught those last two weeks. Now, for the rest of it, I want to just, let, let's look at what Jesus says, and, uh, and I'll just kind of comment on Jesus telling uh, the, rest of the, the, the rest of the story, all right? So, as soon as I find it, we're going to do that. All right, here we go. Here we go. Meantime, the older son was in the fields working. He was in the fields working. He was doing what he did every day. He was faithful. He was consistent. He didn't call in sick. He probably didn't take vacations. They didn't have them then. He was doing the work. He was earning the money so that dad could live well. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Servant said, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. And, uh, and you would think that the older brother would go, yeah, great, awesome. But he doesn't. Says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Why was he angry? It was a money deal. It was a money deal. Because they're partying on what he thought was his money. Let me explain it like this. All right, so when the younger brother left and asked for the inheritance, if you had two sons, uh, the older brother got a double portion of what the younger brother got. So they would divide the inheritance into threes, even though they have two. The older brother would get two-thirds, and the younger brother would get one-third. So Dad's net worth is shrunk by one-third. Younger brother goes out, blows it. Now we have two-thirds left. Okay, I'm going to get that two-thirds when dad dies, but it's not mine yet. Dad brings younger son home, not as a servant, but as a member of the family. He restores him. So guess what? We now have two-thirds of the money that's going to be divided again into two parts and one part. So it's his money, he sees it, his money that they're, he's out doing the work to, to sustain the, the, everything that goes on there. They're, they take some of that money, plus his inheritance has just shrunk. So he's angry. And it says he won't go in. It's not gonna go in. That is a sign of huge disrespect. Think about this. Dad's got a party. This is the biggest party dad's ever had. Probably invited the whole village. Everybody's in there. They're dancing. It's great. It's awesome. They're playing a little ZZ Top, you know, and 
They got the guys from Duck Dynasty there, you know, and it's just, it's just awesome. It's just a great party. And then, and then there's, a, there's something going on out on the porch. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You can hear it. There's whispers. There's drama on the porch. There's drama on the porch. Hey, the best, best show's out on the porch. There's drama. Older brother's there. He doesn't want to go in. Any of you relate to that? You've been to a birthday party or a wedding recently where there was family drama on the porch. Anybody ever been there? Somebody decides to make a stand right here. Okay, there are other times you could make a stand, but they're going to make a stand right here in front of everybody. Drama on the porch. And so, and so, and so it's dishonoring to his father. Here's his father's party. He's excited. Now somebody's going to poop on the party in the punch bowl. Okay, that's basically what's going on. Where did I get that? I don't know. That wasn't here. That wasn't here last night. My wife's not here yet, so don't tell her I said that. Let's, let's listen to Jesus. And that wasn't Tim Keller. That was me, okay? That, that was me. So his father came out and begged him, begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing. You told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet with this son of yours comes back, won't even call him a brother, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. This isn't fair, he says. This is, I've always done the right thing. I was busting my behind this morning while you were partying over here. I've always done the right thing, and this is what it gets me. The, the guy that goes and squanders all the money, he gets the party. You've never given me so much as a goat. This, this is what it, this isn't fair. So how's the father going to respond? I mean, this is, a, this is a slap in the face. He's been insulted publicly, and in this culture, you don't do that. In this culture, they would have expected the father to disown that son. Because you just don't disrespect your dad like that. Instead, tenderly, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. And we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. His father's saying to him, you know what, when he went away and he did all that stuff, I didn't disown him. And when you came out here on the porch and insulted me, I'm not going to disown you either. Both of you, please come in. He's come home. I want you to come home too. Come home. Come home. And the listeners, remember this is a story, Jesus is telling a story. And the listeners at this point are going, oh, this is the part where the music rises the family comes together. They redo their Facebook status, you know. <laughs> There's a big group hug, and they live after, heavily out, <laughs> heavily. Well, it's a party they ate a lot. They live, they live happily ever after, okay. It's not how it ends. Crickets. Nothing. Come on, Jesus, give us the ending. What, what happened to the old brother? Did he come in? Did he come in? Did he live happily? That's it. End of story. Jesus leaves the older brother out on the porch, out of the party. Now, 
we want a happy ending. I, I like movies with happy endings, right? I don't go to movies that don't have happy endings. I want books with happy endings. We like that. This isn't a happy ending. There is no ending. That's the end. It's the end. Now, we know that this is symbolic of the, Jesus is speaking this, and the younger brother is the sinners on the front row, and the older brother is the Pharisees and religious people, and he wants them in the party. He wants all of them in the party, but he knows that the religious leaders and the Pharisees are still outside, and so he leaves them in a, in a state of being spiritually lost, and they can't come in until they recognize that they're spiritually lost. Well, it's a good story, but how does it relate to us? Here's the problem. Seacoast, here at the campuses. We are the two brothers, okay? All of us are either one brother, the other brother, or sometimes a combination of both, but we are them. Some of us relate more to the younger brother. He's a nonconformist. Okay, And you have been all of your life a nonconformist. You do things your way. You wear your hair the way that you do. doesn't matter what other people think. Well, actually it does. You're trying to be liked by other people that are like you. But, and you've you you got a wild hair. You've had a wild hair since the day you were born nearly. You can almost see that right away. And, and for some of us, it, it, I mean, we're in the church and, and we spiritually are redeemed by God and it's great. But we're still nonconformists. And some of us who are on the edges of, of the church, we, we would say things like, you know, I do my thing, I decide what is right and wrong, and I'll live the way that I want to. Okay? Some of us are that way. We're just that way. Others of us, probably most of us, are like the older brother. We're conformists. We're good people. Rule keepers. We're going to do right. We're, we, we put in a good day's work for a good day's pay. We're good moral people. And here's the problem. Most of the world is kind of made up of those two camps. And whether it's in the church, in families, in politics, within countries, uh, we, we each blame each other for the problems that we have in our family, in our country, in our neighborhood, in our school, wherever it happens to be. Uh, one side would go, it's the immoral, crazy people that are ruining things. It's the liberals it's the progressives. We could just, you know, if they just toe the line, then things wouldn't be like they were. And then on the other side, it, boy, it's the moral hypocrites that are the problem. It's the religious conservatives. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They need to loosen up. And usually we fall into one camp or the other. Or sometimes the lines aren't so clearly drawn. And we go back and forth. Um, so, so, some older brothers who are kind of the toe-the-line conservative, you know, type, church-growing, moral people, have a secret younger brother inside trying to break out. And that's why when, a lot of times when there's a police sting, you know, when they have a prostitute sting or they have a, a you know, a, a, a porn predator, you know, or whatever it happens to be on, you see these things on TV, they'll, they'll list the people that are caught and oftentimes there are good, moral, Christian people who are in the list, not the whole list, but in the list. And you go, how did that happen? Well, it happened because there are good moral people trying to toe the line, but down inside there's a, there's a younger brother. Or sometimes uh, the younger brother, the tolerant liberals, you know, I wish the conservatives were more tolerable, are, are some of the most intolerant people when it comes to religious conservatives. 
And you, you read things that are said, and you go, that's hypocritical. What's happening? Well, there is a younger brother who has an older brother that's kind of breaking out inside. And so Jesus steps into this whole deal. And he goes, time out. <laughs> Quit pointing fingers. There are not good guys and bad guys. Okay? Older brother. The problem isn't the younger crazy guy. Younger brother. He's not arguing about it. He's in, you know, drinking. But the, uh, in the party. Uh, but, but he, I thought that would be funny, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> But he, he might say it's the older brother. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's not the case. Here's what we have. We don't have good versus bad. We've got two bad guys. We've got two guys here who are spiritually lost. Both of them are alienated from the, the, the father. One of them is separated from the father by his obvious sin, the younger brother. It's obvious what he did, but he, and he was separated from the father. The other is separated by his pride and his moral record, and he won't come into the party. Both of them want to manipulate the father for what they could get out of the relationship. The younger brother goes, I want my inheritance now. Dad, I have a relationship with you for what you can give me. And the older brother is going, you know what, you don't give me anything. You never give me anything. He wants a relationship with dad, not for the relationship with the father, but for what the father can give him. The exact same thing coming from two different ways. Can you see that? Can you see how that, they're, they're just alike in some senses. They're both spiritually lost. The older brother has an attitude that says, you know, God owes me answered prayers. God owes me a good life. God owes me a ticket to heaven when I die because of my keeping the rules. I'm a morally good guy. Tim Keller in the book says this. If like the older brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper. He may be your example, even your inspiration, but he's not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. See? You're serving as your own savior. The elder brother obeys God to get things too. They don't obey God to get God himself so that they'll resemble him and love him and have a real relationship with him, really get to know him. But it's for what they can get. See, there's two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. One, you can break all the moral laws and set your own course, or you can keep all the moral laws and be very, very good and have your pride in and your, and your justification for a relationship with God in your morality. But both are wrong. And both are loved. Jesus says, I want you in the party. Come home, come home. And one guy does, but the other's still out on the porch. And that's the scary part. Because while they're both, you know, it's not good versus bad, you've got one who's repented and come in, and you've got one who's still as lost as a goose. And when I think about that, and I think that lots of us in the church probably relate more to the older brother than the younger brother. I go, we got to learn something from this story. How can you recognize an older brother spirit that, that keeps them distant from God and out of the party? Well, let's look at four things real quick, and I'll just barely breeze through them. I've taken a lot of time on, on the front end. How do you recognize an, an older, older brother spirit? Number one, he's angry. He's angry. The Bible says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. See, the first sign that you have an elder brother spirit is when your life doesn't go the way that 
you want it to. And newsflash, your life won't always go the way that you want it to. Now, this is earth. This isn't heaven. Okay? And sometimes stuff happens. Bad things happen to good people. And when that happens, you aren't just sorrowful and disappointed, but you're deeply angry and bitter. See, the elder brother believes that if you live a good life, you should get a good life. God owes you because you're working hard to do the right things. And when things go wrong, if you feel like you've been living up to your moral standards, you become furious. You become angry. You become angry at God. I have seen that over the years here. I've seen sometimes when uh, someone loses a loved one or they lose a business or they lose a relationship or status or whatever it is. They get angry with God. God, how could you? How could you? And that anger often turns to bitterness because that's what happens with anger if you don't deal with it. You become bitter. And you may not see it, but people around you do. It, it always happens, always. Anger turns to bitterness if it's not dealt with. And you get angry at God. God, how, I've served you. I've done this, and this is what I get. And I see him walk away, walk away. Or sometimes someone else is blessed. Why them and not me after all I've done? Anger, bitter, walk away. Now, I saw an example of the exact opposite of that this week. Did any of you see the interview with Rick and Kay Warren on Piers Morgan CNN this week? Okay. You have a, I think they're playing it over and over and over again because, I don't know, it played on Thursday night or something, and, and Rick sent me a note and said, hey, we're going to, they're, they're repeating it on Friday and Saturday and Sunday because it was the single most watched event ever on CNN. Highest rated show ever on CNN. And it was an interview with Rick and Kay Warren. You know Rick and Kay Warren, their, uh, I think, 29-year-old son, Matthew, uh, took his own life a few months ago. And I've talked about it a little bit. I went out and spent some time uh, with Rick, me and a couple of friends on Father's Day to kind of, you know, know that would be a tough time with him. But anyway, his, his son had a mental illness and tried several times over the years to take his life, finally got a gun and shot himself. And um, Piers Morgan... Uh, uh, interviews him and asks him, was there a time when you were angry with God? Take a, take a look at their response. There must have been a moment after Matthew took his life when even you questioned your faith in God. I never questioned my faith in God. I questioned God's plan. There's a big difference. I, I know God is a good God. Nothing can shake that from my life. I know God is a loving God. The question is, it's like my children. My children have never doubted that, they, that I love them, but they sometimes doubt my wisdom, and they don't think I've made the right decision. Not everything that happens in the world is God's will. Everything that happens in the world, God allows, he permits, but, uh, because it couldn't happen without his permission. But we live in a world where there are free choices, and if I choose to do wrong, that's, I can't blame God for that. So God isn't to blame for my son's death. My son took his life. It was his choice. And if I chose to go out and get drunk and get in a car and I was in an accident and killed somebody, I, I can't blame God for that. They have wept. They are deeply touched by this. They mourn, mourn, mourn. You see them wet, weep on the show. But the interesting thing that Rick says in answer to were you ever angry with God and did you lose your faith? He said, no. He said, I know God is a good God. I know God, I don't always agree with God's direction for my life, but I know that he is good. If the older brother would have just 
known that about his father. My dad's good. I don't understand the party. I don't understand what's going on. But I know fundamentally that God is good. You know how, why Rick, how Rick got there? He got there by developing a relationship with God for who he is, not with God for what he gives. Because sometimes if you don't get what you think you ought to have, then your image of God is not as a good God. You can get angry and bitter and, and walk away and stay out of the party. But Rick has developed this relationship with God, not for what he gives, but for who he is. And so he knows, he knows. You know, I know God is good. Older brother, anger. Here's the second thing. Second key indicator is that he feels superior. It says, when, it, when this son of yours, he says, comes back and squanders, squandered his money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. What he's doing is he's pointing out how much better his moral record is than this son of yours, this lover of prostitutes. I would never do that. I was out working. Remember? I was out working today. But when he does that, so he's looking down on his brother. Elder brothers base their self-image on being hardworking or moral or members of an elite clan or smart or savvy or cool. It's this, it's this cool group. It's this elite group. And they feel superior to those who aren't. And it leads to things like racism. It leads to things like elite Ism. It, can, it can show up in the church. You can look down your nose at another church or have somebody at your work look down their nose at your church. Oh, that's church light. We're much deeper than that. You know what that is? That's an elder brother attitude. That's somebody outside the party looking down. And oftentimes it's because of a hurt somewhere. And, and when you're when, when, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to need to forgive somebody and you can't forgive somebody that you feel superior to. You just can't. You know, when you, uh, if you have an issue in your life uh, with, uh, with a temper, let's say, and there's somebody that has a temper problem and they hurt you or offend you in, in some way, well, if you have a temper problem, they have a temper problem, you can kind of understand it and ultimately you may be able to, to forgive, Okay. But if you've conquered that area of your life or you've never had a problem with that area of your life and somebody else has a problem with an area there, you, you, you tend to think, well, I, I don't have a problem with that. You shouldn't have a problem with that. And you feel superior and you can't forgive. And so the elder brother cannot forgive the younger brother. I want to go back to the Warrens. Uh, they, um, they, were asked, they were asked, have you forgiven the guy that sold him the gun? See, the, uh, Matthew couldn't get a gun, tried to get a gun because of gun laws. He couldn't because of his mental illness. Tried to get his parents to give him one, couldn't do it. And finally, a guy on the internet sells him a gun anonymously. And they don't know who it is, and there's no way to trace it or find it. And uh, Piers Morgan asked them about, have you forgiven that guy? Take a look. Have you been able to forgive this person? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have to give, forgive, not for his benefit, for mine. I, I forgive first because I've been forgiven by God. Second, uh, unforgiveness makes me miserable. And third, I'm going to need more forgiveness in the future. So we don't forgive for their benefit. We actually forgive for ours. Yeah, I don't want to be tied to that person emotionally no. for the rest of my life. He hurt me enough already. Yeah. I'm not going to let him I hurt want, me anymore. He's gone. Wow. Here is, here is a guy who could probably logically say, pastor, one of the largest churches in, in America, probably the most influential pastor in the world. The question is, could you forgive this guy, and he said, yeah, I can forgive him. Why? Because 
God has forgiven me and I'm going to need forgiveness in the future and I know that unforgiveness will screw up my life. He puts himself on the same, same plane. And so, and so an older brother, attitude is angry, it's superior, and if it's superior, you'll never be able to forgive and if you can't forgive, then it impacts your life. And the third thing is that he has joyless, fear-based compliance. Joyless, fear-based compliance. All these years, he said, I've slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a single thing, and, and, and never once refused to do a th- single thing that you told me. He said, I've been so faithful. And you know what? Faithfulness, because of a sense of duty, is good to a point. It really is. I mean, you need to be faithful. Uh, you know, any job, there are some days that you just don't feel like doing it. And the only reason you do it is because you're faithful to it. Anybody else have a job like that? Okay, come on, get real. Somebody, somebody, told, me, somebody told me the other day, and I, and I appreciate the attitude of it, but somebody told me the other day, said, you know, I asked them about their job, and do you like your job? I feel like I've never worked a day in my life. And I understand that. But I, I think, really? You've never had a bad day? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm a lot holier than any of you guys. And I relate to the guy, did you hear about the guy that, uh, that was a joke? Joke. We're even at the foot of the cross. And so, and so this, this guy, this guy, on Sunday morning, he, he sleeps through his alarm clock. His mother hears the alarm clock going on, goes to his bedroom, says, you need to get up. And I don't want to. So she comes back in about 10 minutes, you need to get up. I don't want to. No, you need to get up. I don't want to. Finally, he says, you give me two good reasons why I ought to go to church today. And she said, well, number one, you're 41 years old. Number two, you're the pastor of that church. You know, that? And, and there are days. I love you guys. But there are days. It's just, ugh. And, and you, and, and, and you, you got to plow through it. You got to suck it up and do it because it's the right thing to do. But this guy, apparently, his whole life is like that. His whole life is built around, he calls it slavish. You, you've slaved, I've been a slave for you. A slave is pushed, not drawn, okay? And, and it's this begrudging, uh, this, this, this kind of begrudging obedience, this, this, this uh, uh, begrudging compliance to the letter of the law, okay? And God wants a loving devotion, a father, you go, I love the Father. I, I love you. And, and, and there are going to be days I don't feel like doing my job and I just got to plow through. And there are days I don't feel God particularly. But I plow through because I know God is good. And I know, I know who he is. But I, and, and, and I love him. Sometimes older brothers do good to others, but not out of the delight in the deed or for the love of people and for the love of God. They're they're angry, they feel superior, they operate on joy, joyless, fear-based compliance. The fourth thing he does is he lacks the assurance of the Father's love. And in all that time, he says, you never gave me anything. You never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. You never threw me a party. As long as you're trying to earn your salvation by controlling God through goodness, you will never know if you've been good enough. You'll never know. You're never sure that God loves you and he delights you in you. And so every time something goes wrong, you're going to think it's payback from God because you're just not living right. Maybe it's something that happened five years ago and something happens today and you go, you know, I, I know that God's getting back at me. No, God doesn't get back at you. 
God disciplines you, yes, but that's not the issue. God got back at sin through Jesus Christ on the cross. God loves you. And when you don't have a sense of assurance of the love of God, then, then it just messes up your life. When people criticize you, rather than just being a little bit hurt, you're devastated. Because you're not assured of the Father's love, and so you go around to everybody else to try to, to please them and be assured, you know, I, I want your affirmation, I want your affirmation. And when somebody doesn't affirm you, it's devastating. But when you have a relationship with the Father, and you, you love him, and you know that he loves you, and you're assured of that, then you can get through when other people don't like you. God loves me, and that's your problem. Now, I'll be a little hurt by it, but I'm not going to be devastated by it. Um, so, so that's kind of that's that's the deal. Here, the, the, the father begged him to come home. You know, home is a powerful concept. Many of us have fond memories of times or people or places when we truly felt home. You know, maybe, maybe you moved away from home. Or maybe there was... There was a time in your life when, when home, oh man, it, the people you're with, it just felt like home. But here's what happens. Oftentimes when you go back to those places, you're disappointed. The other day, I was in Denver, and oftentimes when I'm in Denver, yeah, that's home. That's where I grew up. I'll go back to my, my childhood home. It's up on Green Mountain, looks out over the city, and, and I drove up there. Day, and sometimes I feel like a stalker because I'm going real slow. By the house, and I'll go down, turn around, come back, sometimes park. And that day I parked, and I looked at that house, and I thought, you know, there, on the front porch there, there was a swing. Man, when I was a kid, I used to lay on that swing in hot summer days. Mom would bring me a lemonade. I could feel the air. I used to, there was, Mom had a little garden next to the house, and she had a little patch of it for me, and I used to garden with my mom, and, and it felt like home. And I used to lay out in the backyard, get a little suntan, and, it's home. And here I am parked in front of a house that doesn't have a swing. The weeds have grown over where the garden was. The bushes are real big. And the paint peels. And I drove away from that kind of feeling a sense of loss. Because it's home, but it's not. And God has created within each one of us this longing for home. This longing for a place that fits where we can be ourselves, where we can be home and if you're looking for it in your possessions or if you're looking for it in a position it's just not going to be there if you're looking for it in a place it's just not going to be there now the church when done right is a glimpse of it but the true fulfillment of home is in Jesus here's the gospel Jesus died for your sin and then he rose again conquering death hell in the grave, breaking the power of death and decay and disorder that keeps the world from being home. And someday he's going to return to make his victory complete. In fact, Isaiah 35 says, God is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. And, and the lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wastelands. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return and they will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. I remember when we went to Israel and the first time I drove in to Jerusalem on a bus, it felt like home. It was crazy. It was a spiritual home 
But he's talking about a real physical place. At the end of the prodigal story is a feast of homecoming. And at the end of the book of Revelation, if you don't understand Revelation, join the crowd. But at the end of the book, there's a feast. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb that was slain. It's home. Home is a place where there's no more death, no more decay, no more peeling paint, no more weeds, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears. There's laughing and eating and dancing and celebrating. And the prodigal, or the father says to the prodigal, come home. And the father says to the older brother who's been hurt by somebody who doesn't feel like life is fair, who's relying on their own morality, and that is such a heavy burden to bear He says, come home, come into the party, don't stay on the porch, come home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word that challenges us to the core. And God, today, I pray that you would examine our hearts, that we wouldn't have A spirit of an older brother filled with anger and superiority and duty and a lack of assurance of your love. Bring us into a relationship, a true deep relationship with the Father. We're coming home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.